This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. So I just have a, a couple announcements. That um, the handouts is actually there's no handout for this one. There's the only one that there's no handout. But at the same time, um, if we have time, we're gonna use the first handout and do a breakout session at the end also. And because we didn't get to finish it, because I would like to hear people share what they've learned from the first um, group discussion that we had this morning. So we kind of go over a little bit, and then we have some people to come up and report like how we did the second session. And I think that went really good, really, really well. I've learned a lot from you. So, um, and then the next session at three o'clock, we're gonna have handouts, emotionally disconnected. And uh, this one is entitled Take Away the Show. And actually, there's a uh, Revelation of Hope packet in front of you. Uh, it's my friend Taz Parklev. And um, it's a good ministry. He wanted to get to everyone here. So enjoy that packet. And check out his booth. <laughs> and we also have a booth there in, inside the exhibit hall. You can check out number 700. It's a loud and clear call ministry. Is the name of our ministry. And some people asked me, well, who is your family? You mentioned your family here, but we're trying to see who it was. And my wife is back there in the yellow. Can you raise your hand? My wife, Yvette. And my daughter, Anya, right there, you didn't figure out, in a blue shirt, in a GYC <laughs> shirt. That's my daughter, Anya. So if you have your Bibles, you can um, start in John Chapter 11, verse 38 is our opening text. John chapter 11, verse 38 is our opening text. So our presentation is Take Away the Show. We're living in a time in this world where the external is everything and the internal is nothing. It's because of this that we have put up a front as to who we really are just so that others will like us. But unfortunately, this is only a mask. And the mask usually comes off at home or we're at work or with our friends but, or with our roommates. For the home in our rooms that everyone sees who we really are except the cause for the dark secrets that no one knows about. And because everyone wears these masks, that we meet so many nice people out there, but then we wonder why their homes are falling apart. You see, if there ever was a time where we need a healing in our homes, in our schools, and in our churches, then that time is now. What do you say? Amen? So as we learn about the mask that we all wear, may the spirit of a loving God search and convict us as to who we really are. Let us pray. Father, Again, we ask for your presence as we open your word. May your spirit help us to understand it. Is our humble prayer in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. John chapter 11, verse 38. This is about Lazarus, okay? And Lazarus was sick. And his family had called for Jesus to come and heal him. But the problem was that by the time Lazarus had come, I mean, the time Jesus had come to see Lazarus, it had already been four days since Lazarus had been dead. 
And this is where the story picks up in John chapter 11, verse 38. And the Bible says, Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, coming to the grave, it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. So what was covering the grave of Lazarus? It was a what? A stone. A stone was covering it. Now, this stone had to be removed in order for the light to come in. Amen? Now, Jesus is the light of the world, right? Is he not? But when the light came to the darkness of the tomb, it could not penetrate into that darkness because there was actually a stone hindering it from coming in, right? And Jesus also is God, and the Bible says that God is love in 1 John 4 verse 8, right? So the light of love, in other words, love could not penetrate into that dark tomb because there was a stone hindering that light or that love from coming into that tomb. You see, this stone represents the many different ways we try to keep things covered up so that we can then fool others and ourselves into believing that we're okay. In other words, the reason why the light doesn't come into our dark souls is not because it doesn't want to, but because we ourselves have put up a covering or a mass so that it cannot come in. And God wants to break through that stone. What do you say? Amen? Notice what it says here next in John chapter 11, verse 39. The Bible says, Jesus said, take you away the stone. Jesus commanded that they take away the stone. Yes, Jesus was about to do a great miracle here, but there was a part that Jesus required humanity to do. And so in order for the miracle to happen, humanity had to cooperate with divinity. And thus their role was to take away the stone. Now it said of Jesus that Jesus loved Lazarus and his family. For the home was in Bethany, where it was a place where Jesus could find true rest. And it was because of this love for Lazarus and his family that Jesus gave such a strong command. And he was able to be bold to them and said, take away the stone. In other words, the reason God often gives us strong commands is because he loves us. What do you say, amen? They call this tough love, right? And he knows that if we would just listen to him, we would be healed. And this is what God wants to do for us. And the same way, beloved, he commands us to take away the stone so that the light may come in. He commands us to take up the mass so that the truth may shine through. He commands us to take, stop being fake so that the love may come in. He commands us to break down the walls so that the healing may begin. I want healing. How about you, huh? Amen? Turn to John chapter 11, verse 39, B, to continue on the next part of the, the text. It says here, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he had been dead four days. So after Jesus commanded to have the stone taken away, Martha then protested, right? It says here. But Lord, he's been dead for four days. And if we take away the stone, then everyone will see his rotting cadaver and smell his decaying body. Now we can relate to Martha and that she didn't want to face the decay and despair of what was in that dark cave. And the same way, many of us don't want to take away the covering from off our lives. Because if we take off the covering of our lives, people are going to start to see 
how nasty, smelling, and humiliating might be to us. Just like Martha, we protest that if we take away the stone, everyone will see our family's skeletons, right? Just like Martha, we protest that if we take off the mask, everyone will see who we really are. Just like Martha, we protest that if we break down the walls, we'll only get hurt. You know, I realized that in one of our colleges where I spoke on healing, and I made an appeal for healing, and this is the first time this ever happened to me. You know, everywhere I go, I make an appeal for an altar call to come forward for healing and anointing and prayer, and um, usually people would just flood out. But this is one place where hardly anyone, actually the first time I did it, no one came up. So I said, wow, okay. But here's the interesting thing. No one came up, and then as I dismissed everyone, one by one they started slipping up to the front, <laughs> secretly to the front here, and I stayed for hours counseling and anointing with oil. I thought that was interesting, and then the next, you know how strong peer pressure is, right, for young people? And I thought that was interesting, and then I, um, one of the persons told me, hey, you know what? Um, I think you didn't make an appeal strong enough. And I said, well, I thought it was pretty, it wasn't clear, so you better make it more clear the next time. So I said, because, you know, I, I think a lot of people wanted to be experience healing. So I said, okay, I'll make it very clear the next one. So that night I made another appeal, and um, one person came forward. <laughs> but again, guess what happened? People slipped up to the front, one by one, one by one. And one girl was in the front of me crying, and she was saying, please, can we go to the side so no one can see me? And just kind of, you know, pull away to the side. And I realized that people wear masks today because they don't want no one else to see who they really are. Because this whole life, they've been living a lie. And so now, they'd rather continue living this lie, right, rather than um, people to see who they really are. Charlene was a young college student and who needed healing from a religiously abusive home. She needed to forgive her parents, but every time her counselor would ask her to give it up, she would say, I just can't give it up because that's all I've got. In other words, what she was saying was that, that was, this is my whole identity. This is all I know. There's nothing else that I know. She did this three different times in um, three different sessions. And after the last session, she never returned for any more counseling. 20 years passed, and this, this pastor who was counseling her was, was speaking in this town in another state. And Charlene came, and after he was speaking, after he's, he's finished speaking, this lady came to the front, and he recognized her, and it was Charlene. And Charlene said to the pastor, do you remember me? And he said, I do. She said, do you remember everything that we talked about and all the things that um, we shared? He goes, yes, I do, even though it's 20 years later. She was quiet for a few moments, and after with big tears spilling down her cheeks, she said, oh, pastor, two divorces and one nervous breakdown later, I guess I really should have given them up. And before the pastor had time to respond, she turned and walked away, never to be seen again. Sometimes we like to cling to our past and to our mass, and we don't want to take away the stone. But God wants us to take away the stone. What do you say? Amen? What happened next? John 11, verse 41 and 43. Let's continue the story. 
The Bible says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I knew that you hear me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. Verse 43, And when he had said, spoken, thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You see, it was only after they removed the stone that Jesus was able then to perform a miracle by bringing Lazarus back to life. And the same way, it's only when there's nothing between us and God and we become finally transparent with one another and with God that the miracle then begins. What do you say, amen? Painful, I know. You see, they only need to do one thing in order to experience a miracle. And that one thing was just to take away the stone and the same way, many of us are only one step from, ex- from experiencing a miracle. But unfortunately, that one step may be the biggest step of our lives. But all it does is take one step. What happened next in John 11, verse 44? Notice the Bible says, And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. So here was Lazarus. He came forth. But what was hindering him? It was what? What was hindering him? He was bound with what? His grave clothes, right? But who had bound his grave clothes? Other people, right? Especially his own family because they prepared him, right? (laughs) In the same way, even though we may have been healed, right? It is often those who are closest to us who keep us bound. In other words, it's often our closest family members, our friends, who are the very ones who hinder us from being truly set free. This is why Jesus told the family and friends of Lazarus to set him free. And the same way, beloved, we must also set those whom we love free. If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. Amen? Set them free from the grave clothes of their past. Set them free from the negative expectations that we give. Set them free from the gossiping about their sins. That's how we set them free. You know, I had, I had actually, I met someone here. I mean, last weekend I was speaking with a Tongan brothers and sisters here in Phoenix. The Phoenix Tongan group. And then I, was, I met somebody who I went to school with 20 years ago. And he knew me. And he was so excited but he saw a huge change in me. And I met someone today after my seminar. She came to my seminar. And she was from Hawaii and she moved up here. And she knew me. And she was telling me, my wife, he goes, look, you look exactly the same. Well, I don't know if I look exactly the same from college, you know, 20 years ago. But you look exactly the same. And then she said, and um, you talk exactly the same. With a pigeon accent, right, from Hawaii. <laughs> but you're a totally different person. And I praise God for that. I'm a totally different person. God changed my life and I'm a totally different person. But I noticed that some of my friends, even though God had changed my life, they still treated me different after I changed. You know, it wasn't until actually 12 years later after I had totally changed that one of my friends came to me and we had one of those, I call it meaningful conversations. We actually don't just talk about, you know, fluffy stuff. We actually talk about real stuff. 
meaningful conversation. And then she said, you know what? I, um, I need to tell you that when you first changed, I thought you were actually going through just a phase in your life. I thought that you're going to uh, resort back to how you once used to be. But I realized that it took me 12 years to realize that uh, you're not going to change. You're actually, this is for real. And then I realized, wow, um, they, people are treating me differently. And I can tell you from experience that people can imprison you with the negative beliefs that they have about you. Have any one of you experienced that before? Yeah, in your life? Okay, turn to Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. In order to understand the condition of you and me, we need to understand Bible prophecy. Okay, a little bit into that. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. And what are the characteristics of the second beast of Revelation 13? Notice the Bible says. The Bible says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a what? Lamb, and he spake as a what? Dragon. Okay, we talked about this one. I want to look at another aspect of this. Now, a beast in the Bible represents a what? Daniel 7.23, which is a nation, right? And this nation in Revelation 13, verse 11, contains two characteristics. The first characteristic is that this nation, it looks like a lamb. Now, a lamb in the Bible we talked about before is 1 Peter 1, 19, right? Represents who? Jesus Christ, right? So the nation on the outside looks like a Christian nation, and so we know this nation was founded upon Christian principles, right? Now, the second characteristic of this nation that it speaks like a what? Dragon. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the what? Mouth speaking. So what a, what a person is or who they are is really revealed what is on the inside, not on the outside, right? Amen? Because on the outside, you can look a certain way, but who they really are is really what's on the inside, right? So on the inside of this nation, this beast, okay, is a heart of a dragon. Thus it was prophesied that the inside heart of this nation... Now, the dragon represents who? Satan, right? So wickedness. So the inside of this heart of the nation will be full of wickedness in his last days. And are we not seeing wickedness in his last days, right? In the United States of America? And so we're hearing that and seeing that in America. In other words, as a nation, it's been prophesied that on the outside, we will look like a Christian nation and be referred to the world as the West and a Christian nation and good principles and morals and, and everything. On the outside, we'll, we'll look at looking good on the outside. But in the inside, will be something totally different as wickedness. In other words, the United States of America was prophesied in the last days not to be transparent. Now, a nation is made up of what? People. Is it not? So when the Bible prophesied what our nation will be doing in the last day, that this nation will be a, a, a nation will be wearing a mask or pretending to be something it was, is not, it was really prophesying that we as a people in the last day, the Bible is prophesying that you and me as American citizens will be a people consisting in this nation of being people of who we are not. Looking good on the outside, putting on a mask, a facade, or being fake on, on the outside, but on the inside being something totally different. But that's the world, you say. <laughs> what about the church? The church is better than the world. The church is perfect, right? 
Well, it's not what I say, but let's see what God says about his church. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Yes, all the Americans, they're like this. But what about the church? Revelation 3, verse 17. Notice the Bible says. The Bible says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. So, here we have the church thinking on the outside, in the mind that, hey, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I'm good, I don't need anything because I'm a good person. I, I, I look at myself as being really good, right? But notice what it says here. But God looks on the inside, right? Man look on the outward appearance, but God looking on the what? On the heart. And God looks at our heart at Laodicea, God's remnant church, and he says, and knowest not, in other words, you don't know that you are wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked. So in other words, Laodicea thinks on the outside that they're rich and increasing good. In other words, that they're good. They have a good mask on. But really, God sees on the heart that Laodicea on the inside is wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. If that's clear, let me hear you say amen. Amen? Okay, that's the church. That's that church over there. That's that church. That's church. But let me ask you another question. What are churches made up of? Ah, people. Me. And you this afternoon, right? So when the Bible was talking about Laodicea, in other words, when, so when God is actually prophesying through Revelation 3, telling how God's remnant church, our church in these last days would be like, God was revealing to us that, that there's going to be a people in the last days, the Laodicean church, who has all the truth and hold these sacred oracles of truth given to us by God. But this same people on the outside are wearing masks and living a lie. Just as the United States of America was prophesied to be a people on the outside, to look like a lamb, a Christian, and good on the outside, but who actually have a dragon on the inside. No, just that they're living a lie, doubly so. So to be in the church and the United States, even a double lie. And guess who makes up the nation and the church today? That's me and you. And though thus, we want people to like us. So what we do is we put on our best face, we look on our best clothes, we go out, and we live a lie. And then we come home, and guess what? The truth is revealed to our own brothers and sisters, to our own parents, to our own children. And then we wonder why, why so many Young people leave the church. Pretty easy. I hear this all the time in my churches. Pray for my son, they'll come back. Pray for my daughter to come back. Maybe we need to pray less for our children and more for our parents. What do you say, amen? You know, I did youth ministry before, many years. I really believe that our church doesn't so much need youth ministry as we need parent ministry. What do you say, huh? Amen? What's the use of me helping out these children and these youth and encouraging them and, and, and helping them to their problem one day and they feel so great and go, thank you so much, and they're going back to the same old home they came back from the day before 
only to come back for the next day for the same old thing. We're not solving any problems by having youth ministry. That's the root, that's the cause of the problem. You have to go back to the, I mean, that's not the cause, um, cause effect of the problem. We need to go back to the cause of the problem. Reasoning from cause to effect, the spirit of prophecy says, right? And then we deal with the home. The home is powerful. The home we learned this morning, it can influence, right? Many inspiration. Otherwise, it says that many people in adult life are dwarfed or stunted, she says, the spirit of prophecy, stunted in their childhood. In other words, they may be 40, but they're still 70 emotionally. They are wounded and dwarfed at age 50, and they're still 10. And you think why everyone acts in the church acts almost like babies? Do you know why they're acting like babies? Because emotionally and spiritually, they are babies. You may think they're walking around in a 50-year-old body that's aged 50 years old, but emotionally, they're acting like a 7-year-old throwing a tantrum in a board meeting. Trying to control the church because they never grew up. Sport brats because they never, they always got in their way. And so it comes to church, and so what? They're in a 40 year old body, they're still trying to control things how they want their way. I've seen this happen many, many times. One of the people I really feel sorry for PKs. God help our PKs. Are there any PKs here? Hmm. My daughter's a PK. <laughs> you know that. Two ways. My daughter says, Dad, you know you're a PK twice. I said, what? PK? Because, oh, wait, no. She throws that at me. Well, we have PK in our family twice. I only mean PK because I'm a pastor's kid and PK because you're a pastor Keala. <laughs> She's so cute, huh? <laughs> PKs, everywhere I go, they're always hurting. It makes me realize that PKs, somehow, either we don't have the gospel right, or we may have it intellectually right, and, it, and there's a big disconnect between the intellectual knowledge and the practical application in the home. Or maybe it goes back to 1888, which I tend to believe, when we rejected the message of righteousness by faith as a church, and we're still wandering around in the wilderness trying to figure out what it really is. You know, the message that God wants to give to his church in the last days is a revelation of his love. What do you say? Amen? Inspiration says, the last message. What's the, la- what's the message? The what? The last message to be given to this earth is a revelation, a revealing of his character of what? Love. What's that word? Love. That's the message. You know why? Because love is the power that gives you the victory over sin. If we preach victory over sin where there's no love, there's no hope for that person. There must be love. And there's no sense me stirring up the pot and getting you to realize how much you need healing if I don't present the answer, which is God's unconditional love for you. What do you say? Amen? And the cross is so beautiful. The cross reveals us in a powerful way, God's unconditional love for you. And, we, and there's many different ways to look at the cross. Now, only one way reveals God's love is like a diamond. You turn it a dip one way and you see a different aspect of God's beauty, of God's character of love. 
And God wants to heal us with his love. So this one church I was speaking at, there are not one, but two PKs who came for the altar call for anointing with oil and prayer. One PK said this to me, and I guess it adds to my sermon and why he wanted me, why I guess I got this sermon. But he said to me he wanted healing and that he wanted to be real in his experience as a Christian and stop being a fake. What do you say, huh? Amen? Isn't that beautiful? To be transparent? We are so fake, it's unbelievable. Especially in our churches, we're so fake. Happy Sabbath. God bless you. That's the only words we have memorized. God bless you. How is it? Praise God. Amen. Sister, brother. <laughs> one of the things, my, one of my, another church in Oregon I spoke at, and he said, you know what the most refreshing thing about you is? Is that you're transparent. I thought we'd be like, wow, you break things, break down the word, you can break it up, and I never heard stuff like that before. But then he said something I totally was caught off guard, and he said, you are transparent. And I'm like, is that, is that so unusual today that if somebody was a little bit transparent, people were like, wow, I didn't know what, a word you said. <laughs> but your transparency is shown through. Is that, is that the condition of where we're at today? The second person, PK, who came forward for my appeal in that same appeal was actually the one who did special music. And this was the most, one of the most beautiful special music I've ever heard in my whole life. And he said he wanted healing. Him and his wife sang it. And he said he wanted healing in how he verbally abuses his wife. What did Jesus do on the cross? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 in your Bibles. Notice what the Word of God says. What did Jesus do on the cross? The Bible says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, and the next one says what? Despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So in other words, Jesus not only endured the cross, but he despised the what? The shame, right? You see, when people were crucified on the cross, they were always crucified naked. In fact, the earlier pictures of the cross, they always had Jesus naked. But because it was too shameful, they put a little loincloth there, yeah? You seen those pictures? to cover up his shame. Corrie ten Boom, how many, how many of you have heard of Corrie ten Boom? Yeah. In a concentration camp, German concentration camp, they asked, somebody asked her, what was the worst thing you had suffered at the German concentration camp? She gave a completely different answer than what was expected. She said, it was a nakedness. So often having to be naked before all those jeering soldiers, that was the worst of it all. You know, you figure, I thought it would be the, the murders he saw. I thought it would be maybe watching the rapes, the degradation. But instead it was being naked in front of others to see her nakedness. And it was this same horrible shame of being naked on the cross that Jesus disregarded this shame for both you and me. What do you say, amen? Now if someone was to take you and strip you of all your clothes stretch you apart, 
and then tie you to a post out there in public in Phoenix, in a city, so they all would see your nakedness, and then make fun of you and your body parts in front of everyone, what would that be called? Wouldn't that be called sexual abuse? Sure it would, and that person would be thrown into jail. Wouldn't that person be right? Isn't that exactly what they did to Jesus? They stripped him of all his clothes. They stretched him apart on a cross, out in public, so they always see his nakedness. Then they made fun of him. Beloved, Jesus understands the great shame of being sexually abused on the cross. Amen? See, we all have shame because of the sins that we have done or because of the sins that have been done to us. But because of his shameful experience on the cross, there is no shameful thing that you have done or maybe you have experienced that he does not understand himself. What do you say, amen? Have you been physically abused? Jesus understands. Have you been emotionally abused? Jesus understands. Have you been sexually abused? Jesus understands. What do you say, Amen. There isn't anything that Jesus does not understand. He understands because he's been there. He knows what you've been through. He experienced the pain. He experienced the suffering. He experienced the hurt, even if it's been sexually abused. And that understanding brings a connection with him. There was actually a, a research done of an interview that they actually asked this person being interviewed to be perfect, dress perfectly, act perfectly, and answer all the questions perfectly on the interview. So this person did, and the audience was watching, and the person was interviewed just, and did everything perfectly. And then they rated the audience connectivity between the audience and the person being interviewed. And I found that the person who did everything perfect, the, the connection level was very low. And then they had another person to be interviewed, and they told the person, okay, I want you to do it. I want you to mess up on the questions. I want you to spill the coffee on yourself. So that person did. He messed up all the questions. He spilled, oh, what a klutz. You know what happened to that person's connectivity to the audience? It shot up really high. There's something about relating to someone else. Amen? Because they went to the same thing. You can relate better to that person, right? Or you, they can relate better to you. And so if Jesus can, somehow you can figure the way that Jesus experienced the same thing as you, then you can have a Savior who gone through the same thing as you and actually can help you to experience healing. I want healing. How about you? Amen? The first step in healing is to take off our mask. And this is the hardest thing, especially for Americans, especially for Adventists. This would then allow God's light to search the hidden and hurting errors of our lives. Then we'll finally discover the errors within our lives which need healing. And then God's love will come in and heal us of our broken past. That's how it works. And when we're healed, God will then use us to go out and heal others. What do you say? Amen? Be used by God to heal others. So let's be transparent. What do you say? Amen? Let them see the cracks in your armor so that the light may shine through. What do you say? Amen? Don't be perfect, act perfect, look so perfect, everything got to be right, so everyone can look up to you, so you can be proud of yourself, and be the cool guy or cool girl. You don't have to be that. You can be just as you are, and guess what? God loves you. What do you say, amen? 
Rosie was a patient in an ICU. A pastor visited her and said to, she said to him, Pastor, I've been trying to pray, but it's no use. I don't know the Bible. I haven't been to church in 30 years. I know God won't listen to me. I've just been too bad. The minister then asked if she would be willing to share her story, which he did. she did. She shared that when she was a teenager, her mom died. And when she died, she was so overwhelmed with grief that the night after her mom's funeral, her and her older brother had gone out and had gotten roaring drunk. And in a drunken stupor, they slept together. And after that incident, life had been downhill all the way. She said, that's why it's no use for me to pray, being that God can't forgive me. The minister then shared 2 Corinthians 5.19, where God is reconciling the world to himself on the cross, not counting their sins against them. And he said, in other words, the Bible says that if you believe, everything between you and God is all right. What do you say, amen? The last words to him was, what you told me was wonderful. I'm going to try and believe. The next day, morning, the pastor went to see Rosie, but her bed was empty. The nurse recognized the pastor and said that she died in her sleep, but told me to give you a message, pastor. Tell that pastor that I did pray. And I did believe what God told me, and I got peace in my heart, and everything between me and God is all right. What do you say, amen? The cross does do th two things. First of all, the nakedness and transparency of the cross. Christ was naked. He was transparent on the cross. Transparency awakens transparency. What do you say, amen? When you become real with others, guess what? That's contagious, being transparent and not being fake is, is contagious. It makes other people realize that how fake they are, and they themselves become transparent themselves. Secondly, the love revealed at the cross also heals us from our past wounds. For we learn by his wounds of the cross, his love revealed on the cross by the wounds of Christ on the cross, we are healed. What do you say, amen? The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, God still loved us. In other words, God loves you when you were still a sinner. In other words, you don't have to change in order for God to love and accept you. What do you say, amen? No, God loves you and accepts you just as you are before you even change. And when you see and experience this acceptance, you'll be so touched and appreciative towards God that you would then do anything you, that he wants you to do, including have his character to be perfectly reproduced within you. What do you say, amen? That's what God wants for us. You see, when you realize that God loves you just as you are, you would then feel no, a need, no longer feel need that you have to go out and impress others in order to feel loved and accepted. That's the reason why people go out and want to put on a front. Why do people put up a, a mask? Why do people put up a facade? Why? Because they want other people to love them and to accept them. Why? Because somehow they missed it in their life. That's why we do it. So the fact that Laodicea and the fact that Bible prophecy of the second beast of Revelation shows that this nation and this church has put up so much mass is revealing to me that somehow our people and our church and this nation are not receiving the love that God has called us to experience in our lives. What do you say? Amen? Something's missing in our church. 
If we were all transparent and the church was this way, this prophecy of Revelation 3 would not, I wouldn't even be talking about it. But I guess I would because God's word always comes true. Amen. And this is so true. But reason for cause and effect that somehow the Adventist home is broken. Is broken. And the reason why we have so many fake Christians on Sabbath is because it is broken. And you can say all you want about that is not, but it is. The truth is that there is many people walking around with masks today. But beloved, God loves you just as you are. What do you say, amen? You don't have to do anything to gain his approval of you. That's the whole beautiful thing. You can stay exactly as you are right now. And guess what? Romans chapter 5 verse 8, he still loves you. While you're yet a sinner, he still loves you. And he died for you on the cross. While you're yet a sinner, he still loves you. While you're yet enemies in Romans chapter 5 verse 10, while you're enemy of God and hating God, guess what? He still loves you. And on the cross of Calvary, when he was, st- he was there up on the cross, and he's looking out, and he, all the, through all the people, he saw all the people through all the ages yelling through the, the scribes and the Pharisees, abusing him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what he, they're doing. He still loves you. What do you say, amen? In other words, he loves you just as you are. That's the power of the gospel. As you are, you don't have to change, and therefore you don't have to wear any masks. What do you say, Amen. And that's why you need to go to the cross. And the cross reveals that you can, you can be who you are and not pretend to be something you're not. The cross reveals that you can throw away the lie of living a lie. And you don't have to impress any of your friends. You don't have to impress the pastor. You don't have to impress any church members. You don't have to impress anyone. You just have to worship God. And what is worship? Appreciate him why? Because he loved you just as you were. In fact, he's the only one who did that. He's the only one who loved you just as you are. If that's the case, then isn't he the one that we should give our full allegiance to because of that? Amen? That's the gospel, right? He loves you because he initiated that love. We respond to that and we give him our heart. I got an email from someone in one of our training schools. 25-year-old young lady. She said, I'm 25 years old. My parents divorced when I was 11 years old. I've never had a relationship with my father as he was never involved in my life. He never did provide anything for me. Neither did he care about me and what I was doing. He also would lie to me. I grew up never trusting men. Ah, See the connection between the childhood and the present? Always happens. Unless they experience healing from God. I grew up never trusting men, avoiding them, and being very uncomfortable in their presence. I started dating men at 18 because I was too afraid to date them before that time. The problem is that every time I meet someone, it never lasts more than three months. And I believe that my past is affecting the way I behave with men I'm interested in. Because obviously I can't keep a man. I normally act normal around men, but it's just when I'm around men that I'm interested in that I don't know how to behave. Sometimes I would just completely ignore that person because I don't want that person to think that I'm interested in him. You ever did that before? (laughs) 
I've also had a hard time expressing my emotions to a man I like as I don't show much. I really want healing. I don't want my past to continue to affect my future. And then I asked her some questions. And she, asked, she responded with this. She said, the questions you asked are very good questions. I know that God is good and all he does is for my good, but I do find myself not believing sometimes. You're making me think, Pastor. Well, I guess I have to rate my trust in God to be three out of ten. Three meaning very low, ten meaning high. Wow, I'm shocked. I thought it was higher. In regards to my trust in people, I guess I would rate my trust in people a two out of ten. That's terrible. I never examined myself in that way. Wow. I believe that deep down I haven't forgiven my father for abandoning me. I feel nothing for my father. Last year, I saw him in a subway accidentally. We talked for about five minutes, and I felt I was talking to a stranger. He doesn't, he doesn't know me, and I don't know him. How sad. We only live about 25 minutes apart. So I guess I do feel hurt and resentment towards him. And because I have suppressed those feelings, I believe I don't feel anything. As I'm writing these words, tears are coming out of my eyes. The hurt is obviously there as I have never dealt with it. I've been hiding it. I would say that I do have anger toward him too. I've been praying for love for my earthly father because I don't love him. From your sermon, I realize that if you don't love your brother that you see, then how can you love your father that you don't see? I don't want my lack of love for my father to push me away from God. God is the only person I can come to and honestly talk to about anything. I don't want that to be taken away from me. I truly want to do God's will. And I don't want anything to separate me from Jesus, nothing. Thank you very much for the words of wisdom and comfort that you wrote. It really touches my heart. I never look at the cross in that way. Jesus willing to be abandoned by his father so that I may never be abandoned. That's powerful and deep. It truly touches my heart. This is the amazing love that God has for us. He is so good. What do you say, amen? I share my story this morning. How I had hated my dad. And I used laughter and, and joking to numb my pain on my past. And the saddest thing of it all was that no one would have guessed how empty I really was, including myself. You know, my friend I just met here in the last seminar, she said, I knew you, you were always smiling and always happy and always joking around and laughing in college at PUC, that's just how you were. But now I understand why you're always joking around and playing around and always having fun, because laughter was hiding your pain. And so I, I used to do that and joke around. And God had worked a miracle in my family. It wasn't until years later that God began to heal my wounded heart. I didn't get along with my dad. I hated him. And um, I don't know how he felt about me. I saw the pastoring on the same island my parents lived on. And I began to visit and talk story with my dad. And it came to a point where every time I would come over and visit, we'd just sit down and talk for hours. And we had meaningful conversations. And our relationship began to change slowly and slowly more and more. I think that had never happened in the past if I had not experienced God's love and forgiveness. 
There's one thing my dad would always say to me after a while whenever I would visit. He would say, what does it profit of a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? And that was reaffirming to me because, you know, I come from a very, you know, my family was very gifted in a lot of areas and they did very well. Um, and so as a pastor, um, I never really saw myself I mean, the world's eye, you know, pastor's not really the greatest, you know. My brother's a doctor, you know, that's how, that's how they, it's kind of like, oh, wow, do, does your son go to church? He goes, oh, no, he doesn't go to church. Oh, but he's a doctor. I go, oh, wow, praise the Lord, he's a doctor, right? It's like, almost like they praise the Lord that they're a doctor more than they ask about going to church. And so when he said, I'm, when my dad said that to me, it was almost like it was reaffirming to me that, you know, he was happy for me that I was serving the Lord. You see, the cross not only awakens us to be transparent, but it also heals us from our emptiness and pain. In other words, the only cure for the lamb-like beast of Revelation 13 and Laodicea of Revelation chapter 3 and our lonely hearts is accepting and healing cross of Calvary. What do you say, amen? For accepting love is a cure for our mass, and healing love is a cure for our pain. You see, the reason why we all wear masks is because we were made for accepting love. But because we have not received this accepting love while growing up, we soon figured out that the only way we were loved and accepted was if we acted and behaved in a certain way. And so our lives, we have ignored our true self and thus have become this super self we pretended to be. And even worse than this is the fact that we got so used to pretending to be something we are not that now it seems almost impossible to become real. But, beloved, there is hope this afternoon. What do you say? Amen? Amen. But when we see the accepting love of God on the cross of Calvary, we would then feel safe and secure to be whom we really are and whom you were created to be, not someone else you're pretending and hoping to be. What do you say? Amen? Every single one of you is precious in God's sight. You're made by God to be something that no one else can be. And when you finally realize who you really are and start to behave and act like who you really are, God will then take you where you're at and heal you of your pain. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? If you want that, let me say amen. Amen? amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your healing power of your love on the cross. Take away the mask. Take away the show. And as we hold the transparency of the cross of Calvary, may this awaken us to be real with one another. And you are God. Is our prayer in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible based, Christ centered, and soul winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.